and welcome to the Game Design Podcast. Once again, my name is Brad Carney, and I am the founder of Final Boss Entertainment, who recently developed Rack. If you're unfamiliar with Rack, just imagine if someone had the audacity to release an indie game that isn't a roguelike, you would basically have Rack. By the way, just a quick programming note, we were supposed to have part three on the series on arena shooters for you this week, but due to some unforeseen circumstances, it's looking like that's going to end up being next week. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. And hey, speaking of this week's episode, we're talking about action RPGs. I think most of you are familiar with these in one form or another, whether it's Diablo, Borderlands, even Zelda, maybe? I don't know, that's probably a bit of a stretch, but basically they're action games with elements of stats, loot, and even leveling. There's a real sense of progression as you and your character become more powerful after hours and hours of play. In addition to all the fun hacking, slashing, and shooting you get from the action side, you've got to take into consideration things like your own personal attributes, the strength of the enemies, the items in your inventory, and so on. I think as with any sort of crossover, you've got to be really careful about how hard you emphasize elements from both genres. For instance, if you've got a strategy platformer crossover, and you expect people to be masters of both genres, you're probably not going to have a very big audience for your game. Instead of bringing in fans of either genre, you're more likely to only bring in fans of both. I think Diablo is an example of this done well. It's an action RPG but the action is relatively simple. Sure, you're running around hacking and slashing things into bloody piles of flesh and bones, but tactically, there's not much to it. You're not worried about dodging missiles, or attacking enemies in their weak spots, or responding to enemy animations and then counterattacking. Instead, it's usually just, oh my god, monsters, whirlwind, whirlwind, whirlwind. If you had to worry too much about those other things, it'd be too much. For one, you'd be asking players to change gears almost constantly. It's definitely nice when games change the nature of the gameplay every once in a while, whether it's fighting a boss after fighting a ton of weak enemies, or visiting a town after clearing out a dungeon, but it can be tough if you're changing gears too often too quickly. When I think of this, I think of something like chess boxing, which, come on, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? I don't really need to explain that. Basically, if you go from intense action to intense strategizing, it can be really jarring and prevents you from getting into any sort of rhythm. You've also got to be careful to make sure that the RPG elements and the action elements help each other rather than interfere. If you're in the middle of what should be a highly enjoyable action sequence, and you've got to stop every four seconds to examine the worthless items the monsters are dropping, that's going to get real annoying real fast. That's why games like Diablo have color-coded loot, white and blue being common and generally ignorable, and yellow and orange being much more rare and valuable. With a quick glance, you could probably know, I have no use for this, and go right back to being a walking nightmare to all who oppose you. Or you can know, oh my god, that's a legendary battle axe, out of my way! You get to keep doing the fun stuff without getting bogged down in minutia. So, how can designers make an action RPG where the RPG elements enhance the action? We'll be talking about all that and more with Super Duper Garrett Cooper, who is the developer of the upcoming action RPG Black Ice. It's a cyberpunk hacking game with a first-person perspective, and we'll talk about what he's done thus far to make the game a success. We'll also talk about our time at PAX South, designing a multiplayer game, paid mods, procedural generation, and more. So stick around, and I'll be back at the end to wrap things up.
So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, uh, a little bit about Black Ice, and uh, the, the little bio on you. <laughs> All right. So I'm Super Duper Garrett Cooper, and I make this game called Black Ice, which is a first-person shooter action RPG hybrid sort of thing. Um, it's a cyberpunk hacking game, so I call it like a hack and shoot. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, and I, I wouldn't really expect anyone to know this, but um, we, we actually shared a booth at uh, PAX South just uh, just a few months ago. You were yeah. kind enough to, to offer space to me and a couple others, um, and we all were crammed into one little 10 by 10 booth, uh, the four of us there. So th- that was a lot of fun. What did you think about PAX South as a whole? I enjoyed it. I mean, it was the first PAX that I'd been to. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, and you know there was no indie mega booth there, so I was like, "Hey, why don't we just like make our own thing?" And I think we're <laughs> yeah. all stronger for that. Yeah, we definitely did have our own little. I, I called it the indie mini booth. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, I mean that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean we did get to meet like a lot of you know different, just just kind of like general uh, people who were there for the convention, uh, and some you know like people who were into streaming and and doing YouTube videos and and that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, was... it was a lot of fun. It really was. And yeah, PAX is great. And then it was crazy because it was so big at PAX South. And then I went and did PAX East like a month later. And oh, it was yeah. like, oh my God, there's so many people here. <laughs> like, so was that like a ton bigger than South or what? It was, yeah. It, the, wow. the floor itself was, you know, easily four times as big. Wow. And yeah, there were just a ton, ton of people. Wow. Did you see a lot of the same people you saw at South? Like as far as like uh, games that were being shown there? I did. I saw I saw some of the same games, not all. Um, Eric, the guy that was in our booth for Social Justice Warriors, he came to PAX East as mm-hmm. well. But he, we weren't in the same booth that time. Oh. He was actually across the room with Cooler Master. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was good times. Like I saw Life is Feudal was at both of them, and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Gray Box and those guys were at both of them. Cool, cool. Well, a that... lot of the a lot of the really big games were at both. Yeah, I, I I would imagine that. Was there any like big game that was there, at, like like a big prominent game that was at East that wasn't at South? Blizzard's Overwatch game. Oh wow! Oh my god! Wow. I got to play that game, and it was so much fun. How is that? It's well, I mean, it's very similar to my own game. It's a first-person shooter game uh, with RPG elements to it, mm-hmm. although it's very much a competitive multiplayer game as opposed to a you know actual RPG mm-hmm. and. It, it was great. And I was trying to go through and, like, try all the different characters. I like the big robot guy with the shield. Um, but it was hilarious because I was trying to find somebody with, like, a fast-firing weapon that moves very quickly and, like, has cool movement abilities on top of just running quickly. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm just looking for the Black Ice protagonist <laughs> <laughs> in Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Razor uh, is pretty close. Is that, is that her name? Oh, gosh. I don't remember. It's the, oh, it's the okay. British girl that teleports and stuff. It's not even out yet, so I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we have talked before on the podcast. Though. It, it is important that, you know, like games that kind of offer like a, a bunch of different characters and everything. Like they have like characters that appeal to like everyone's different play styles. So, you know, it's like if you're a character who like prefers like a fast character, like uh, like the protagonist of Black Eyes, you know, then you have that option to, to pick from and you have something that kind of complements like your own personal uh, play style, right? So absolutely, and yeah. Uh, so I, I assume if Blizzard is doing a good job, like they will have that character there. And it, I mean, maybe it was just a matter of like, you know, you're not familiar enough with the game yet to kind of know like what all the characters do and how they work. So hopefully, that kind of character is there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with any game, providing a variety of play styles is pretty important. 
Definitely, yeah. So you mentioned that Overwatch is, is a little bit like your game, uh, Black Ice, uh, in that it's a kind of like a first-person uh, action RPG kind of thing. So I, I want to ask you like a little bit about uh, you know kind of action RPGs in general. So it, it, th- these games like they're kind of like hybrids, like kind of like crossovers between you know kind of like an action game, and you're also kind of like including like. Uh, RPG elements in that. So, how do you kind of like balance uh, like those two elements? Like, you ca- you probably don't want it to be like too action heavy and also too RPG heavy. Otherwise, it kind of becomes uh, exclusive. You know, it's like the the only way to enjoy the games. Like, if you're really good at action games and really good at RPG games, so it can be a little tricky. Uh, so, I, I mean, how do you kind of like achieve that that balance? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean. As with anything, you're going to want to, you know, reduce as much complexity as you can while still trying to allow for as much depth as you can get. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, you just need to make all of your abilities, like, very clear about what they do, that sort of thing, Um, and just easy to use. So, like, all of my abilities are just one-button things that, you know, Mm -hmm. depending on how you hold the button down or let it go at certain times, like, you can do different things, but... um, but you're right that you do have to balance out the the action and the RPG. Like you, you need to make player skill important to keep the you know in my case the shooter elements uh, as you know important as you can. But you know, on top of that, yes, levels are definitely going to matter. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, you you mentioned uh, how, how skill is important. So how do you handle it? Like when the player is fighting against monsters that are like a, a higher level than them. Like if the player has enough skill, like should they be able to to win all the time, or is it just kind of like uh, you know the monster is much stronger? Like they they probably don't really have a chance. Like like they're guaranteed to take some kind of damage, and like if the the monster is a high enough level, like you're just gonna die from that. Well, I mean, depending on how high of a level we're talking here, because there is a, a great expanse of levels that you can get through, um, you absolutely can take on things that are higher than your level, and, and I want people to do that and be rewarded for it. But mm-hmm. um, at a certain point, you know, like the enemies start moving faster as you get up in a higher level, and, you know, much like games like Doom, uh, Black Ice does rely on dodging things. So mm-hmm. if you're not capable of you know, getting away from things, then yeah, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Um, Especially since, like, the enemy's HP goes up, and, you know, maybe you can kill them and you can get away from them, but if you you can't kill them fast enough, then you're going to have trouble. Yeah, and, and I mean, you said like within limits. Like, as I recall from a pack south, like like if you hack one of the shops, like aren't those like what like level five hundred or something like that? Yeah, they're not quite so bad anymore. There's something okay like level right. eighty or so, but it's okay, still right. way above the character. A little more fair, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're good at you know getting your uh, CC in that sort of thing you're you're good at timing things you actually can do a pretty good job of hacking something that's way above your level but it might take longer and so like the as far as like the enemy speeds and everything is that always like relative to the player like so like if you're like level 5 and fighting like a monster that's like level 50 like they're going to move like way faster than you but then it's like when you get to level 50 like th- does that monster like actually physically move slower or it's not that it moves slower than it would if you were level 5. It's that um, by the time you get to level 50, you probably have gotten at least a couple of sort of movement abilities. Gotcha. Now, because everything's so modular in Black Ice, you don't necessarily have to. But if you're not going to be mobile, you've probably got some other way to take them down. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, this is this this has multiplayer too. So like, I I can imagine that would be like really tricky. You know, it's like if you're trying to like balance the speed around like the you know the the each character. It's like if one person's level five, another person's level five hundred. It's like, what do you do with the monster speed? It's like, <laughs> right? So. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely tricky. So. I mean, you know, in the game, all of the monsters have a level, and it roughly corresponds to the player's level. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter what level you are when you try to attack them. It's just that, yeah. It... Right. As far as like uh, like action RPGs and, and Black Ice go, what what kinds of skills like do you think these games are trying to develop uh, in the player? Obviously, like since there's RP, there's an RPG element, there's elements of, of resource management and you know kind of distributing your points correctly. But what is that that you want players to kind of get out of it? So most of what I want to get out of the action RPG um, aspects are I really want the player to feel weak at first. And then be able to come back and just raffle stomp the people that they were that were <laughs> destroying them before, and I think that's really important to the cyberpunk genre as well because you know, in any sort of cyberpunk book, they talk about like, oh, that guy pulled a Wilson, and and that means you know he just hacked something that was way too hard for him, and he totally got himself flatlined, you know. Mm-hmm. And I want the player to be able to make mistakes like that, and then go, oh, okay, maybe I should kind of like be a little more cautious here. Um, mm. And so that's why, you know, even at the beginning of the game, you can walk straight towards the end of the game and just be like, all right, well, I'm going to try to hack this right now and then just get horribly <laughs> killed. Right. And a lot of players will do that just once, just to try it. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or in the case of, you know, at, at least the ways it was a pack south, you know, go go hack a shop with a, you know, level 500 monster inside. <laughs> right. So... Um, but then when they when they, where they're strong enough to actually be able to like hack it for real, they feel really awesome because they totally yeah. got wrecked before. Yeah, it, you know, I, I think that's that's a really good feeling. Uh, you know, kind of the feeling of you know, like like at one point, you know, this this area used to own me, this monster used to own me, and then like becoming more powerful and, and overcoming that, and then just being able to. You know, what was the phrase you used? Raffle stomp them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, being able to go back and crush them. It's, it's just a very satisfying feeling. You know, it makes you feel like you've actually developed, uh, you know, like the, the time and effort you put in right. uh, has paid off, and it feels really good. Right. And on top of that, because I'm providing different ways for the player to customize their own build, they feel clever that they were able to set up this combo as opposed to just putting in the time to level up. Interesting. So it's it's like they kind of get some freedom and kind of how they they so it's they they feel like instead of like just grinding, uh, they they feel like hey you know I I I, I guess I don't know how to phrase it but you know it's like they kind of crafted their skills in such a way right. that they were able to overcome the the monsters and everything. Right. So it's not like a typical JRPG where you get like this set and then you get this other set and then you get this other set and they don't do anything different. It's just this one has slightly better stats as you level up. Right. Um, right. You know, some MMOs will do that too. It's that, you know, you level up and you're like, well, I don't particularly like this laser gun, but I do like that shotgun that slows enemies down so that I, when they get close to me, I can shoot them with that shotgun so that I can get enough space on them so that I can use my sniper rifle to really wreck them. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Yeah, so it's like you have like a like a diversity of, of options, like as far as your your loot goes and everything. Uh, so it's it, it's sort of like, um, let's see, I don't want to put this. Um, 
But it's it, as far as like your your loot goes, like you get to like pick different things with like different attributes. Yes. Instead of like, hey, you know, this one has higher, uh, you know, more attack, more of, uh, you know, higher fire rate or whatever. Um, th- there's there's more. It's it's a little more multi-dimensional, so you, you kind of have to think about uh, the, the different loot in different ways, right? Right. Absolutely. I mean, all the items are also abilities, so you you could find like a shotgun program, or you could find an EMP program, that sort of thing. And you want to like I try to balance them all against each other. Uh, to some extent, that's impossible. Um, but really, I'm just trying to provide again as many playstyles as I can. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky thing, like act, like balancing things like that. If you give like like a, a weapon like some kind of property, like like piercing or something, it's like if that's like a little too strong, you can't give it like half piercing. Like that's not like a thing you can actually. I do, do have some things with half piercing. Maybe that's not oh, a great really? example. Yeah. So some of the projectiles have a chance to pierce through enemies, for instance. Okay. Okay. Right. And the higher level they are, maybe the higher chance that is. But then there are also some other types of projectiles that just always do reliably pierce through things so that you right. can use them to, for instance, shoot through walls or shoot through a big wave of enemies all at once. Yeah. So I, I guess kind of like my question with that is like in a game like this, and especially like a like I, I, I do see it in like a lot of different like action RPGs, but it's like like weapons and like items you pick up. It's like they'll have like so many different attributes. And like at some point it's like how can the player, like, really have any hope of, like, knowing, like, hey, this is actually better? Like, I, I, one of the examples I have is, like, a, in Borderlands, it's, like, I'll, like, pick up, like, a, a shotgun or something that has, like, more damage, better fire rate or whatever, and then you shoot it, and it's, like, the missiles, like, go all over the place, so it's, like, completely worthless, but it's, like, the... It, it seems like you can have, like, so many stats for different items that it's, like, it becomes, like, so difficult to evaluate, like, whether or not it, it's any good. Sure. So, how, how do you kind of work with that? Well, you have to make things consistent. So, for instance, I've got a bunch of different projectile types, and if you get a bouncy ball projectile, you know how it's going to behave for the most part. Like, you know that it's going to bounce, you know, above the ground a little bit, so you might have mm-hmm. trouble hitting shorter enemies, but it's going to continue at a long distance, so you could actually, like, set yourself up and be like, alright, well, I'm just going to use only bouncy balls as time goes on here mm-hmm. in order to just specialize into that sort of thing. Right. And on top of that, like, the different stats are fa- fairly self-explanatory, like chance to pierce, um, you know, chance to crit, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, you're not going to be able to directly compare some things until you try it out, but you should be able to at least... I mean, there's there's no penalty to trying something out, so you can just swap something in and out and be like, oh, okay, that thing does this and this does that. Right. I, I guess kind of like the comparisons are like between different bouncy balls. You know, it's like it would be easy to like take two bouncy balls and like look at the kind of stats they have and evaluate which one is a, a better bouncy ball. Right. Whereas, like, it might be more difficult to, like, evaluate, like, a sniper versus a bouncy ball. Well, there are sniper bouncy balls, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That you shoot, like, just, you know, a slow-firing but much more powerful bouncy ball. And then you can get, you know, the shotgun (laughs) bouncy ball, which is a bunch of little ones that kind of go everywhere. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so it it can be hard to to compare the two. But, yeah, if you're comparing like things, you, you can get a feel for it. And then, you know, all the items have DPS stats on them as well. So a lot of people just like right. that. Right. 
That just seemed like a nice kind of stat that, you know, all, all that stuff is, is boiled down to. Especially if, like, you're really into the action aspect of it. You could, like, easily look at the, the DPS and kind of decide if that's something you want right. to start using. So then you get right back into it. So, yeah, where it's like, you know, I, I kind of feel like something like Borderlands, it's like... Every time you like pick up a new weapon, it's like, oh god, it's just. I, I don't know. I don't, it take like twenty minutes trying to evaluate whether or not it's it's a better weapon to to figure out if it's point one percent better. Uh, so yeah, I yeah. always try not to worry about if it's really that much better. It's like, does it feel good and does it have the right, right. element? And then and if if it's gonna be like a lot better, like it, it's probably going to be fairly obvious, that, right? That it is so. Yeah, don't necessarily need to agonize over over every little pickup. Uh, so I, I do want to mention uh, that so Black Ice like it currently has a ninety nine percent approval rating on Steam. So <laughs> yes. first of all, congratulations on that. That's 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 incredible. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, what do you think? Uh, what do you think that is? Like, uh, like what do you think it is? Uh, you know, about the the game design of uh, Black Ice that's really kind of like helped. Uh, achieve that well i mean i think there's a lot to be said about letting players play the way that they want to so yeah. even if a player is not really familiar with first person shooters you can get a gun that granted does lower damage but it's just a point and shoot thing like you just you hold the button down and it's a laser that comes out of your arm and you just you know it's like a laser flamethrower almost which mm-hmm. is very accurate and so you don't have to worry about aiming nearly as much with this weapon, whereas some of the other ones you might have to like lead your target a little bit. Right, right. And so, you know, if you're a power gamer, you're going to go through and get the things that have the highest damage, um, but maybe don't have any other abilities to them. But, you know, if you're not as good, you'll, you'll choose that one. You might uh, even turn on god mode. Like, that's just an option. You can do that if you want to. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind. I want to let it, people play it- the way they want. It was, uh, and I, I thought I remember this from Pack South, but I, I haven't seen it in the game. Was there some way to like turn on permanent death? Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, I call that YOLO mode. <laughs> yeah. Just quite literally, you only live once, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, Black Ice does have that, uh, and then like you know, all the the levels are are randomly generated. Um, I, I I didn't want to cut you off too much about um. <laughs> Was there anything else um, that uh, you know you kind of attribute uh, Black Ice's success to, other than the appealing to different playstyles? Or I think a lot of people can see how, like, because the system is so modular that I I can go in a lot of different directions with it, and I think everybody really hopes that I'm going to add this one particular thing or I'll add that thing. And they just they see the potential in the game. And so right. that's that's what they're banking on. And, that's, and you have started adding some of that stuff, right? Like I know you started adding the, the story mode. Yeah. Or, I don't know the story mode, but incorporating the story into the game. Yes. Yeah, my uh, my wife is writing uh, some of the story for the game. And she's, and she's I mean, she graduated with an English degree. Like She, she, oh, wow. she knows this stuff. Like it, That's oh, what awesome. she does. Um, and, and she's been doing a great job so far. There's a, there's, we've been putting up a new chapter every week and, oh, cool. uh, we've had a really good response to that. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was curious, uh, you know, what, what the response was to that. Cause I've, you know, I, I've seen a, a couple other games recently where it's like, I felt like they did like a great job on the story and like, you know, I did presented it, you know, in a, a very professional 
matter. But then it's like the response has been like very muted, and it's like, huh, you know, it's like it's it seems like it's really difficult to impress people with a with a story to a video game when you know things like hollywood exist and right. uh you know people are you know and like we're in the golden age of television and everything right. um it's it's definitely a tricky thing right well i mean the problem is nobody really expects a good story in a video game but true i think that you can still make things not so much like just direct story stuff but you can give them a little bit of texture here and there and it'll really enhance their experience mm-hmm I don't know. It, it seems like certain audiences, like they, they do kind of want like a like an explicit story, you know, kind of like presented, uh, right? It, with, you know, like storyboards and you know cutscenes and all that. And then there's others who it's like they, they really want the story to be told like um, in a in an implicit manner. I, I guess you know, I haven't played a lot of Half Life, but I, I guess probably you know it's like the way it's like you you run through like a lab and it's like destroyed or or whatever. Like it's kind of like telling you like, hey, some stuff went down here. Um, right. You know, it's kind of communicating the story in that that kind of subtle way. Um, I, I, I guess it's just kind of you know it all kind of depends on like what your audience expects. Uh, you know. When, when it comes to different genres and and whatnot, yeah, yeah. Well, you want to get players to experience the story so much as right instead of being told. Yeah, especially with games being such an interactive medium. Exactly, I mean, very important. I, I, I'm I'm glad all all that stuff has gone right. Um, what kinds of challenges have you run into though? Um, you know, things like you you've tried in the game that you know people haven't responded to. Well, um, so a good example recently is I, I went through about five or six different iterations of making a jetpack. Hmm. And you wouldn't think a jetpack would be super tricky. Like, I actually got the ability to make a character fly around in the game very quickly. All I had to do was, you know, I already had a knockback mechanic, and I was like, all right, so just apply that directly straight up. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so um, just getting it to work by itself wasn't hard, but the problem is, one, most of the enemies are ground-based, mm. and so if you end up with a, if you end up trying to get it to where the player can fly forever, or if you let the player fly forever, then they can just hover above everything and shoot <laughs> downwards and kill things. And you right. know, people that like action RPGs, there are some power gamers there, and and when I say power gamers, I don't mean like any particular person, but there are personality types there's a bunch of different personality types and and people have tendencies toward one thing or another um this is something i learned uh and actually in in a dungeon master's guide for D. &D. wow it's just yeah i mean there's there's different ways like there there are people that are storytellers there are people that are instigators and just try to screw things up there are people that are (laughs) power gamers that are i i know some of those yeah yeah you know and then the the people that you know they they min max they're people that just want to explore and discover things Mm. And, you know, if you're smart, you'll include a little bit for each of those people. Right. Right. And so with jetpacks, yeah, I definitely had people that would just, you know, max out their RAM regen and then fly forever because it made the game trivially easy for them. <laughs> and, right. And it's like, I mean, yeah, you're ruining your own fun here, but okay, sure. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, how do I how do I make this jetpack not fly forever? And I was like, well, it's got a RAM consumption. I'll just increase that. And it's like, well, yeah, but then they just get more RAM from some other source. I'm like, okay, right. maybe I make it a percentage of their RAM, or maybe I make it take up more RAM the hotter it gets. Like it had a mm-hmm. heat mechanic. 
Yeah. And I just, it didn't work. And then I was thinking maybe I'll do it to where you get like 10 seconds of unlimited flight. And then there's like a five second or 10 second cooldown after that. And that just wasn't going to feel good. Yeah. And finally I hit upon, um, a fuel mechanic. So it still takes RAM, which is the, the primary resource to the game, but each jetpack has its own fuel to where as you're, if you're moving upwards with the jetpack, it consumes fuel, and then once you run out, it will no longer go upwards. But after you, if you're not pressing the button down to, to fly up in the jetpack, you'll regenerate a little bit of fuel over time. So basically it would make it really tricky to just kind of sit there and hover above the monsters. Right. You can't hover, but you can very easily jump up onto one building, run to the end of that building all the while regenerating the fuel, and then hover up onto the next building. And so in doing that, you can it, it gives you a lot of mobility while still limiting the amount that the player can just cheat with the game. Right. Exploit, really. Not a cheat so much. But if they can jump up onto the buildings, can't they just stay up there and Well, they can. Down? Well, yeah, but the spiders are going to climb right up the building. Uh, okay, them. okay. <laughs> uh, okay. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to... Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, if you could exploit that, you know, people would be ruining their own fun, but yeah, it's it, it's, it's good that people can't abuse that too badly. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely like one of those tricky things where it's like, it's... You know, it's. I mean, people don't realize like there, there's so many different things that can happen. Like when you introduce like a new element to a game, yes, it, it's it, it's. I mean, uh, God, what's what's the like biological turf like emergent properties? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, but you know, it's. I mean, you do something and then you don't realize like it, it has like side effects, and it's like you don't necessarily know what those are ahead of time. You know, it would always like drive me crazy. You know, it's like I, I'd add something like to you know to to a game, and, and then it's like. <laughs> It causes something, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, how come you didn't know about that?" I'm like, "I don't. I, I'm not <laughs> magic here. I'm not a wizard. You can't right. see the future." Right. Yeah, that's why I, I I like to do a um, like I do weekly builds, and I have like a beta version that people can opt into on Steam. So it's not most people, but the people that want to help can go and do that. And so I test with those people, and they're the ones that are especially like to break things. And so <laughs> if they can't break it chances are nobody else can right so yeah so when you find those little emergent properties like um oh let's see what did we find out we found out that like the mines if you are running away from an enemy you can plant a mine as you run and then when the enemy walks up to it it'll blow up the mine which take they take some damage if it doesn't kill them it'll knock them back a little bit but it also knocks you forward a little bit which makes it <laughs> which makes it really useful for kiting oh yeah yeah huh. and i had never thought about that and i i was i saw some other player doing it i was like that's brilliant like yeah but yeah i mean does the mind damage you oh no there's really no friendly fire i mean it's <laughs> it's very much a Diablo style action RPG and there's just so much going on that like it would be really bad if there was friendly fire and you also end up shooting things that are right up next to you and I really wouldn't want you to not be able to use area of effect weapons at point blank range gotcha yeah yeah I, I, I guess 
Well, I mean, if you didn't want friendly fire, I mean, then maybe like also the mind shouldn't knock you back. I don't. I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's one of those things where like as a designer, it's like you when you're presented with this, you, you kind of have to make a decision. It's like, do we keep this or do we, you know, kind of right. work around it somehow? And, I mean, that, that's like a cool thing to keep. Yeah, it's it's tricky for sure though to, yeah. to consider that. And like right now, uh, you can't rocket jump in my game, but I'm thinking I probably should add that even though it would knock you around and melee a little bit, but maybe, again, you would want that. Right. Yeah, it, it would definitely give people more uh, options, which I think is generally a good thing. Mm. Like, I mean, for instance, like, you know, say they're fighting a bunch of stuff on the ground, they could rocket jump up onto a building and then kind of attack them all the way, you know, until right. the spiders got up there, and then jump down. And, yeah, it, it'd give people more tactical options, which right. I think is nice. Absolutely. And, you know, it's okay for certain things to have negative effects as well. So maybe you don't want to be knocked back because you don't want to walk outside the hack radius. Hmm. But, you know, maybe that's just the downside because the weapon's awesome otherwise. Right, yeah. You well, want to give I mean, a reason to not press the button as much as press it. Right. But, you know, I mean, stuff like that, you know, it adds to balance. You know, it's giving people more options, uh, you know, in a... In a certain situation and you know, it, it, as long as like no one single option is like completely overpowered that yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a good thing you know it, it mm-hmm. encourages people to to think and kind of evaluate the situation and and all their options which i think is certainly a good thing right absolutely so yeah so I, w- one other thing i wanted to mention uh you know as well we're kind of on the subject of you know kind of tactical options and everything is i was kind of talking in the intro about how like Diablo, like it's, it's a very like hack and slash, you know, RPG, and it, it's like because like there's all the RPG elements of it, you know, there's there's levels and stats and loot and everything. Like you kind of have to like make sure the action like isn't too crazy. Um, it, like there's not too much to it tactically. I mean, mm-hmm. like uh, so it's you're not like when you're playing Diablo, like you're not thinking about like enemies weak points or like responding to you know what an enemy is doing in a particular animation and then counterattacking. like usually it's just oh my god monsters whirlwind 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 right. um, yeah, it's, right. it's it's very simple like from that standpoint um so i i mean to some extent yes and actually one of the things they did in diablo 3 as opposed to diablo 2 there are a lot more things where you could um so enemies would telegraph their attacks more and so some of them would have really strong attacks but it was really easy to see them coming True. and so if you aren't stuck in place for some reason um then you would have to dodge out of the way and and you're right that if there's a whole lot of frantic action it can be hard to see that but chances are if you know there really is a whole ton of action going on right now, then you're already in a position where you're not going to be in danger of that thing anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, like, why Why do you think they did that? Like, did they think maybe Diablo 2 was a little too brain dead or like? Uh, I mean, maybe to some extent. But, I mean, you're right that you don't want to go too far in that direction because you don't want people to have to worry about, like, oh, am I blocking appropriately? It's like, well, you're attacking right. it five times a second. Like, what do you care if you block? Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure some of that is just because like you're fighting against so many different monsters that it's like it's it would be difficult to you know kind of like watch for like f- telegraphs from like five different monsters all at right. the same time. Right, and I will say when Diablo does telegraph attacks with their monsters, it's just a very few like large enemies that you're mm-hmm. trying to take out right. specifically. Right. 
And, and, and I mean, that, that makes sense. Otherwise, it's it's a little too overwhelming. Um, but I mean, do you think there's like a problem with like you know if you're worried too much about like the action stuff, and then you have to like worry about oh this guy dropped a sword, let me stop everything and you know pick this up and evaluate it. Like, like do you feel like the there's <laughs> like it's bad if you're changing gears too much or like well you do want players to get attached to their gear to some extent but Mm -hmm. you also want to propel them onwards so you want them to change their gear out to to a certain extent so like i thought about giving some items like an xp of their own like certain you know like you can level up weapons in some games but the problem with that is interesting then you care more about getting that XP for that weapon that you like as opposed to just moving forward and getting higher level loot, mm-hmm. you know? So, right. like, I, I've I've gone through great pains to try to force characters to always be challenging themselves as opposed to trying to go back and take out the little things. Like, yeah, you can, but you're not going to get nearly as much experience, for instance, than if you just progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean that, that kind of reminds me of of one thing that I, I want to thank you for not doing, uh, and, and that is having and that is having like the enemies and everything level up when you do. Oh, I, I hate that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my, that is my least favorite trope ever, and no need to name any other games, but um, like, I, it's just like any Elder Scrolls game, really. Do they do that too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh wow. Wow, that's that's. I mean, it, well, to me, like it's completely. Mark, it's like, what's the point of leveling then? Exactly. It's almost like you don't want to. Like, right. I, I don't. I don't understand like what they're thinking with that. Well, the thinking with that is, so they didn't have it in Morrowind. They do have it in Oblivion, and I believe they have it in Skyrim as well. But I, I think what they were thinking about with that is that they want you to be able to go in any direction because it's an open world game. But they also want you to always have a challenge. So if they level all the enemies to be the same level as you as you're running around, then it doesn't matter where you go, everything's going to be stronger. But that kind of ruins your sense of place to the game. Right, yeah. Because then you don't care where you are. You're True, always and, and it also undermines all your effort. Yeah, it's like you, you put in all this work to like level and get better gear and everything, right. and it's like... Then what did I accomplish? Like right. I mean, and it, everything's just as strong. So it ruins that fun moment we were talking about earlier, where you go back and totally wreck those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it also like ruins any kind of sense of progression. You know, it's like if you go to like you know this like difficult area and like it, you know, you get curb stomped by everything there. You don't get the chance to you know kind of level yourself and better yourself and get better skills and equipment and everything and go back there and you know beat it and mm-hmm. yeah I, I just feel like that that robs people of of that kind of sense of progression yeah unless they tune it and i think they do tune it a little bit to where you're still getting new abilities and stuff so when you go back you do actually grow in power relative to the enemies uh, a little bit faster than they do so by the end of the game you're very strong in taking out you know and then they have to ramp up the difficulty with bosses and right yeah but yeah, yeah, I mean, there there are some games, um, like one that rhymes with Bisque of Bane, um, <laughs> where it's like the, it's like the levels like level faster than you do. So it's like if you level up, and then the monsters also all level up. It's like they get progressively stronger than oh, that's you no do. Good. Yeah, so it's like you really get like no edge whatsoever from 
leveling up or, or it's like it sounds like maybe in like a skyrim or anything you know maybe you do to some extent um but yeah i've just when it's done like that i'm just uh but you know, i i think they kind of want you to they don't want you to like grind and everything so they're kind of like punishing you for <laughs> killing monsters and leveling up oh, i don't know so it's fun. it's very weird it's a very weird well, maybe, uh, trope maybe they're trying to and this is just a guess but what if they're trying to get it to where the higher level you are the more skill you actually have to put into the game maybe so I, I've definitely tried to do that for some of my stuff. Like, um, you get like so many crazy abilities, and your damage really is exponential. But the enemy's health does go up a little bit faster than that. But the mm. thing is, the higher level you are, like the more access you have to like abilities that have CC, or you know maybe you're better at taking things out from range, or just you just move faster. And I think, even though I've tried to make the enemies outpace the player it doesn't matter the players still have the advantage because they're smart right yeah and i, I mean hopefully you know by the time they get to that point of the game like they're, they're better as players like they you know they have better tactical skills they've absolutely you know, been smart about how they spend all their their stat points and they've done the proper things to you know get good equipment and and all that i mean it's it's, it's i think it's the kind of the same in like any action game even without any kind of sense of leveling it's like the game should be more difficult um as you as you go into it, uh, as you get further in it. Right. So it yeah. should, but you should also have more tools to deal with that. Difficulty. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like you're, you're asking more of the player, but you know, then at the same time, like you said, like the player has more, more tools with which to, to deal with every kind of situation. So right. it's, it's fair in that sense. So one of the things that I've been doing is every Monday night, I, I do a multiplayer stream and night so like we all just get together and just play the game together i i did want to ask you about the multiplayer stuff so yeah 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 so the um the best part about this is i mean it's it's like community building and it's also like they get a chance to ask questions and then you know they get to tell me what's really bothering them and you know in in that sense it's just it's a much better connection than like through forums or twitter could be right um, yeah Especially since we all try to join like the same Mumble server so that we can voice chat with each other. Hmm. Um, and is, is that something like Teamspeak or? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Pretty, same thing. Gotcha. Um, and it's it's been really useful because the players, I think, the the further along I get in this, the better that they think that my patches are because I'm focusing on the things that they actually care about. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part. Um, sometimes I'll go off and do something crazy. Like I, I just put, um, like I got a new hologram shader that's kind of got like the scan lines coming down, and oh, I just, cool. it's just, it's pretty, but nobody really cares about it. Like <laughs> it's one of those things that like you're not gonna notice until it's not there. Um, yeah, yeah, been there. That. <laughs> I, I mean, so many like little visual things like that. It's like we'll, we'll be so excited about it, and then it's like no one cares, no one notices. <laughs> but yeah, and it sucks because I've been, you know, I mean, I'm still, I've still got a long ways to go on the game, and I've very much been trying to focus on mechanical things as opposed to visual things, but it's hard. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like I, I kind of feel like the the mechanical things like it has more of like a lasting effect on the game, but it's like the visual stuff like it's so cool now, and, right? You know, it, it'll also do more to I, I think jazz uh, future players of the game up. You know, it's, it's like when they see the game for the first time, it's like they're yes. more likely to be impressed and engaged in it. 
Yes. And I think um, before going to conventions, I do like to focus a little bit on the visual stuff. Yeah, yeah. As far as like the the multiplayer goes, like what what sorts of what 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 like new challenges have like doing multiplayer done introduced that like you didn't encounter much in <laughs> oh, single man. player? I'm sure tons because I've dealt yes. with that before and it's oh what a nightmare. So. Yes, yeah. So making the game work on multiplayer is almost like having an entire second game to deal with. Yep, it's. You very much have to test things in single player, and then you have to go, is this going to work in multiplayer? Mm-hmm. And you have to build all of your mechanics with the thought of, well, I need to synchronize this on both computers here, or in my case, all 10 computers. And it's it's ridiculous. Like, you know, a lot of games right now will focus on, they'll only have four-player multiplayer because you, you have four players on an Xbox or whatever. Right. Um, and I get that, but that's... But, like, why not let people play with more players if they really want to? Like, mm-hmm. and, and the answer really is that um, while it's hard to sync things between four players, it's exponentially harder to sync with ten because you have to send messages to everybody. Yeah. yeah. And and the bandwidth involved there does become a problem, and you have to find creative ways to get around that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the other thing is, like, from having, you know, like, ten players versus four, like, when you have, like... Okay, it's like it's difficult enough to like get the game like properly balanced and you know kind of get everything right for like one player. Mm-hmm. But then it's like when you have to also account for anywhere between two and ten players or or whatever in the game, it becomes like that much more difficult. Like right. even even something like simple like loot, it's like I mean, what do you do? Like when there's two <laughs> players, do you drop two things of loot? Do you drop ten? What if one person grabs all ten things? I mean, what you know? There, yeah. There's well, in my just, case, a simple issue like that. It's like there's tons to consider. Right. Right. Absolutely. And in my case, I definitely just let players, like, they each get their own individual loot, and what the loot that they see okay. on the ground is different from what everybody else sees. Gotcha. I, I, I do feel like that's the best way to do it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, Diablo 3 did it. I hadn't seen any other game do that before, and I was like, yes, all right, this is a good mechanic. I like that. And and it's actually easier to do than trying to make it synchronized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then it's like, even then, like, and, and this kind of depends on, like, what your what your tone is uh, as the designer, but it's like, I mean, you could easily have it where it's like, one thing drops, and then, like, both players have to fight over it, and there's, like, griefing, and, like, right. all, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, look, if that's what you're going for as a designer, that's, like, something you can do. But... Right. Well, the, that, that's the thing. Do you want to encourage conflict between players, or do you mm-hmm. want to discourage that as much as possible? In, in my case, it's the latter, but if I were making, you know, a multiplayer game where... Um, where it was primarily PvP, I would definitely set it up to where only one player could get a certain item off of the ground. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the developers of, <laughs> you know, really hardcore roguelikes would also yes uh, set things up because it just seems like there are so many roguelikes. Like the tone of the developer is like they hate you and they want you to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and and I don't think it's really it's not hate what it is is that they, I, I know i know they but. really want to give you not just a good challenge but something that's almost impossible to right win. yeah so when you do win you feel super <laughs> duper good right 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 yeah it, it, and it definitely does uh you know in, in the case of some 
oh, incredibly difficult roguelikes that have come out recently. So I, I did want to ask you a little bit, a little bit about that. Since we did establish that Black Ice does have a permanent death option, uh, it, it does have like uh, procedurally generated levels. I guess you'd kind of consider it to be uh, a roguelike in in some sense. Yeah, if you have a fairly loose definition of roguelike, you could consider Black Ice a roguelike. Yes. Yeah, and I I feel like the definition has gotten to be pretty loose. So yes. although I, I do I, I do see people throwing the term rogue light around now. yeah roguelike or roguelike like which is just shortened to rogue love yeah yeah you know when but, you like like someone <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um but i mean why is this you think that these uh rogue rogue like likes and rogue likes rogue lights whatever uh, i mean why is that you think those have gotten to be so popular recently well um, to some extent, I think that it, the classic roguelikes, when you get one, you know what you're going to get. But every time you play a different roguelike, there are going to be some differences. Like maybe, you know, maybe every time you run through, the troll may not react to fire. Maybe the next time you only are able to use ice on him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because e- everybody does it differently and there are th- different little gimmicks like. Um, like how desktop dungeons is really more of a puzzle game than a roguelike in some ways. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I think people like that they know what they're getting, but it's still going to be a, li- a little bit different. And so they're able to try it again. I know that developers like roguelikes because um, because they're procedurally generated there. F- and usually, you know, the art doesn't need to be super complicated. Right. Um, and because they're turn based um, in, in a lot of cases. Um, I want to say that not necessarily that they're easier to develop because I'm sure they're hard to balance and whatnot, but that a lot of the problems in making them are like known, you know? Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, as someone who who's working on one now, it's you know it it's it, as far as like uh, the content goes. Like I was kind of talking about this on on a, the last episode uh, of the podcast, but it's like. It's, I, I've kind of noticed that, like, players, unfortunately, like, if, if you, like, make a handmade level, most players generally aren't going to appreciate the, you know, the, the kind of thought and everything that goes into that. That's so, true. it's so, I mean, if you could just, like, make something just randomly generated, like, they're, they're going to value that as much as, like, something, you know, I've agonized, you know, for months over uh, making. Um, so, it's, and because you can, like, generate those randomly, it's like, you, you end up with, like, tons, tons, tons more content than you could mm-hmm. ever hope to really do uh, by hand. Anyway, I, and I think Absolutely. that's something really like. Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, kind of what I've noticed, uh, you know, with uh, with making Rack, uh, you know, which was not a roguelike, is that people, like, really didn't want to, like, play the same kind of thing over and over again. Mm. Um, you know, or, 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 like, at least, like, a, you know, the same levels. Um, sure. You know, it's like, if, if they die and go back to a checkpoint, like, they feel like they're losing, like, a big amount of progress or something, or it's like, somehow it's better if you wipe everything and make them start completely right. over. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I, I don't understand least it they, Even though they're starting from the beginning, they feel like, oh, well, this is just a completely different place that I need right. to explore now. Yeah, yeah. As opposed, and they don't feel like they're, oh my god, you're making me play through all this again. Because I mean, it's 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 different uh, to them. You know, it's they're they're playing a totally different level, and, and you know, and then they have to you know figure out new things about where they are. They got to relearn, uh, you know, kind of the layout and all yeah. that stuff. So right. And I, I don't know. I mean, the great thing about any sort of game with procedural generation is that they tend to be a lot better for um, early access. 
Yeah. Because, you know, any one small change you make in a procedurally generated game, like say you come up with some sort of new room type, and it's like, well, if you did that in a game that was not procedurally generated, you're going to add that room in like a couple of spots, but you're going to have to like manually go into these levels and then add it there and then add that there. Or if you do it in a roguelike, it's like, all right, well, here you go. It's all over the dungeon, you know? It can be there now at some point. Go, go right. test it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I know that, that 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 was one of the big problems that we, we had with Rack. Um, you know, it, because it wasn't procedurally generated, most people, it's like once they played it, like they really didn't have a reason to go back to it, uh, which I thought was unfortunate. So it's like even though we like completely redid things, you know, we, we just you know put put a crazy amount of work into mm-hmm. you know the art style and and oftentimes revamping things you know redoing levels from scratch and Yikes. and all that people didn't want to go back to it they felt like they had already played it they felt like they had already you know beaten it in some cases yeah that's um, a shame yeah but you know i mean that, that's just kind of you know the the nature of the beast or it's like the good news is like you know with, with a roguelike you don't necessarily have to to worry about that so much um, right you know, it's like we were kind of trying to take the, the Minecraft approach, but, you know, kind of not realizing the, you know, what made Minecraft work, uh, you know, as, as far as like the releasing a pre-alpha and, you know, kind of having having momentum build as they went was the fact that, you know, there was procedural generation. Um, you know, so it's like every time people play right. it, it's like they were playing something something new. Right. They were yeah, playing like the same you know, level with like, oh, now there's another torch on this wall, you know, that, that kind of thing, so... Right. Well, yeah, and of course, Minecraft in particular has not only... It'll have better player retention just because you are building something and you're building a space that you want to go back to. Yeah. And, you know, the the more time you spend in it, the better sense of space you get. And then on top of that, it's got... (laughs) It's got user-generated content, which is Mm. just a great, great draw. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that's... It's actually... um, If you want to talk about mods, like... I I love the idea of paid mods. I think I I think it's a shame that um that they weren't able to do it properly on Skyrim. Um yeah. That that you know, bringing it into an established scene was probably a bad idea and then, you know, the percentage to the mod's actual creator is is unfortunate. Um which although if the breakdown of that was that Valve was already taking 30%, and so uh, Bethesda was like, well, if Valve's taking 30%, and we're going to take 30%, that only leaves <laughs> a tiny bit left. Right, I mean, right. Yeah, so they were like, well, we, you know, maybe they shouldn't get more than we should. I, I don't know, but the point being, paid mods seem like a fantastic way to let other people help with your game. Mm-hmm but leave it optional to where you don't have to incorporate it into the base game if you don't want to. And um, and those people that are making mods that maybe some people like, but most of the player base won't, they're still going to be rewarded for what they get, what they've done. Right. And and I, I think the the ability to be a professional modder would be super cool. Like, like that's not a thing that you can be right now, except right, maybe right. on, like, Dota. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think you would see kind of uh, 
what we saw with the uh, with the indie game scene. It's like once like once like being an indie developer, you know, making little indie games, uh, you know, it ended up being a, a viable career option. You know, you, you saw like so many like really talented, absolutely uh, hardworking people get into it, and like right. I feel like everyone has benefited from that. And I, I kind of feel like if, if that same option was extended to modders, like we would see that same kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think you'd probably see some people who were making entire separate games just go through and be like, all right, screw that. I'm just going to make mods now because yeah. all I ever wanted to do, for instance, was, um, you know, I just want to create cool guns. Like that's, that's actually what I like to do the best. So if, right. <laughs> if I could make paid mods for Diablo, I probably would do that. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that would be so cool. Um, because all I care about is, is, giving players more options so that they can play through the game again in a different way. Exactly. And I mean it was it was the exact same with me. Um I mean kind of how I got my my start in all of this was was basically making a this big uh large scale doom mod called Skulltag which kind of it took nice. the source code and like it added multiplayer and capture the flag and and all this stuff. And I I mean basically the reason I I had to walk away from it uh was cuz there was no way to monetize that. Yeah. You know, it was there I I couldn't make a living doing it and eventually it was like, you know, got to put food on the table, got to you know have a career here. So I mean that's kind of, you know, why I went to the indie game scene whereas like i kind of feel like that's a shame because like so many people loved uh you know like the like i mean the doom community is still around because like modding is so absolutely popular and it's like if if there could just be a way to like to you know kind of endlessly support that um you know kind of endlessly give people what they want and i i feel like that would work out for everyone right you know, it's like it benefits the developers benefit, and uh, you know, and also the the players benefit. You know, they they get high quality content. Um, you know, for, for a game they already love, and it's like, what? It seems like win win. Right, right. It just becomes essentially third party DLC. Yeah, yeah. But the the yeah, if I could speak English, um, the the one thing you did mention that you know I, I really feel like is, is right on the head is the fact that they tried to introduce this to an established community that mm-hmm. already had mods and everything. I really feel like that was kind of like where they where they went wrong because yes. it, it was kind of like they were trying to put the genie back in the bottle. You know, it, it was like people had already. Uh, you know, Skyrim was already established as this huge success and already had a, a thriving modding scene. Right. So people were already used to there being, you know, tons of you know, like free mods and content there. And then it's like once people, you know, once Valve kind of came out and said like, hey, you know, now now they can start charging for this. Like it, it, people were already used to getting things for free, so like that just mm-hmm. wasn't gonna jive with them. So yeah. I, I, I feel like something new, like maybe like the new Unreal Tournament Four. Um, you know, it's like if they started that like right out of the gate with like paid mods, I think something like that would have a much higher chance of success. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you, if Valve lets me do paid mods, I'm definitely going to do that. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, I've even told people, like, if you want to try to make some sort of mod thing, then maybe we can work something out where I can incorporate it into the base game. Right. You know, uh, and actually, this, this past multiplayer night, um, since I developed um so i i over did i overhauled the save system to where it's essentially just a text file now it's it checks whether you've changed anything and if you have it'll mark you as a cheater but you don't necessarily care about that if um if you want to play with things so you can go through and just like hack up your save and create new items for instance because Mm -hmm. your items are part of your save so it's like all right well 
you can do that. And then I also added the ability to where you can drop items and multiplayer to give them to other people. And so uh, yesterday, what we did is we were like, all right, well, everybody go and mod their save before the multiplayer night, and we'll make some crazy weapons and try them out. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, like we did, you know, there were some really simple ones, like a gun that does a whole ton of damage, but it's got a much longer cooldown. There was like the... um, Oh, what did they do? They they did like a jump that was like really ridiculously high that made no sense at all. Like <laughs> just go to the moon basically. <laughs> and then somebody else made an icebreaker that was like really fast, the hacking tool, but um you you had a very very tiny area. Like usually you have an area that there's a radius of like at least 15 something like that. And this was like, "No, your radius is 1. You basically <laughs> have to stand in place when you fight." Wow. And it was interesting because we were like, well, this changes things and I kind of like it. Like, can I actually use this? Right. Oh, that, that that's cool. Like, I you know, I, I'm all for just giving people like tons of different options and, and seeing what they come up with. It's I mean, you get like such cool and creative things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And I, I've had really good. I mean, player feedback has actually given me tons of ideas, too. So oh, I'm, I'm sure. It's been really good. You know, I just, I've got my, my Trello board here where I try to write down everything. And, um, you know, I even have places where the players can comment and add their own ideas. And, um, you know, if I ever am wanting for something, I can just look through the list and be like, awesome, there we go. Uh, how about, uh, how about an enemy that is like a sumo bot that knocks you out of the radius? And it's like, cool. Uh, and actually, I, I, I did. That, that's a really interesting idea. I like that one. I, I mean, that, that, that would be interesting, like in the context of of Black Ice. Yeah, I mean, that's so, something that, like really fits in well. So actually, the Ghost in the Shellfish enemy, um, he doesn't do a whole ton of damage. He's pretty slow, but he can soak damage. And if you don't kill him by the time he gets to you, when he punches you, it does push you back quite a bit, and that can move you outside the radius. Okay. So, so you kind of have something a little bit like that already. Right. Well, I mean, that was where I got the idea, though, was from talking oh, okay. to okay. players. Gotcha. Right. And, like, do, do you attribute... Um, I, I, well, I, I mean, what do you attribute uh, that to? Like, that kind of level of feedback and everything? Is it from, like, just uh, like maintaining that relationship between you and the audience? Is it the multiplayer? Is it... Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of hard to get people to not give you all the ideas they can think of. Huh. Like, I've had a lot of people come to the Steam forums, and, you know, it's not like a huge percentage of people, but there are some people that will just write pages and pages of stuff that they want me to add. Right. And it's like, I love you for this, and thank <laughs> you for all these ideas, but please, like, don't expect me to add them next week. Right, because, yeah. like, <laughs> for one, I have all this other stuff I want to work on, and for two, like, you know, some of those are ridiculously overpowered. Right, yeah. I, I, I think most people are, are pretty understanding, that yeah. you know we're, we're not we're not genies we can't just wave our arms and put everything in right. and, and that even if we could there we wouldn't want to always because i mean yeah some of these aren't great ideas um but yeah no i, I mean I, I i do feel like that that's probably like like there, there's an element of trust there like they, they feel like they can put stuff there and they, they trust you to handle those in a in a mature manner i don't know what word i'm going for here but uh yeah yeah I like mean, like you're not going to shoot them down you're not gonna you know the community isn't going to tear into them 
Right. And yeah. And so part of that is you just, you just have to foster mutual respect between everybody. Mm -hmm. And you just say like, Hey, you know, I really like your ideas. This is maybe why I can't do that sort of thing. And I do try to tell players why on top of what I'm doing as much as I can and and keep it transparent and open. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and I feel like nowadays, like especially when like so many triple A's don't do anything like that, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like people really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's important. I, I do understand the triple A companies not really wanting to do that, at least on a large scale, because really there are just tons and tons of people playing their games, and and if I had, you know. Even twice as many people playing my game, I might not be able to keep up with all their feedback. Right. I might be able to say like, "Cool, I read this," and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? But you know, if you can, and if somebody can make that effort, even if you can't read everything, just to go out there and be like, "Hey, this is really cool. Thanks for writing this." Mm-hmm. Like, I think people. Would like it. So that was my conversation with Super Duper Garrett Cooper. Very much enjoyed it and was happy to talk with another developer about the frustrations of emergent properties. Design is not easy, folks. If you'd like to leave some feedback on this week's episode, I recommend the YouTube channel. I think for this kind of thing, it's best to kind of corral everyone in the same place, so... YouTube, folks. YouTube. Before we go, I want to make sure I credit the music used in this week's episode. You heard music from the maybe action RPG, uh, Ocarina of Time. And there's also music from Diablo and Torchlight. So lots of music this week from Matt. Is it Elman? I think it's German, so I'm going to go with Elman. Just going to completely ignore that first vowel. Alright, well, we'll be back next week with a new episode, hopefully wrapping up the series on arena shooters. Until then, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.